Psalm 148 says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his heavenly hosts. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you shining stars. Praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. So praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on the earth, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them all praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens, and he's raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his saints, of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Make music to him with the tambourine and harp. For listen to this. The Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in this honor. Sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of fire, and to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all the saints. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with a harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you have breath this morning? Never thought about what it would be like if that last phrase in the book of Psalms was switched around. Instead of saying, let everything that has breath praises the Lord, what if it said, let everything that praises the Lord have breath? How many of you would be alive right now? If your every breath was dependent on it being lifted in praise to God, I submit to you that the God we've gathered together to worship today is worthy of nothing less than every single breath. And we, we are made for this, made to praise the Lord, which leads right into what I want to show you today in a way that I'm convinced most Christians are completely missing. And I use that word completely because I think we catch part of this, but most Christians haven't caught all of this. And I know that sounds like a strong statement, but I truly believe most Christians are missing the full reason we have breath. And I wanna show it to you. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Psalm 67. So Pastor Bruce, who let me just say, I am so thankful for your pastor. He, over many years, has been an encouragement to me, 
and an example to me in ways I don't think he even realizes. So I'm honored to be a, a friend of this church family and to be here. And, and Pastor Bruce asked me to preach on my favorite text of scripture, which is impossible to choose. But this text, maybe more than any other, has shaped my life. It's the passage of scripture that I have for years prayed over my kids. Most every night I've put them to bed. And part of me wants to apologize for picking a psalm because I know y'all just finished a series of the psalms. But you didn't cover this one and I'm glad you didn't. Although I'm wondering why didn't you. But anyway, that's, that's Bruce and I can talk about that. But uh, the, the, the first two verses of this psalm summarize the whole reason you and I exist. The reason you and I have breath. But again, in a way that I believe most Christians are missing. I remember like it was yesterday, the first time somebody walked through this text and this truth with me in the Bible. And I'd been a Christian for many years. I sat there with my jaw on the ground because I knew this is true. This changes everything about the trajectory of my life. And it did. It, it changed everything from that point forward. So let's, let's read these first two verses, Psalm 67, verses one and two. And then if you're taking notes, I want to show you the twofold reason you exist, the twofold reason you have breath right now. Let's start with the text. Psalm 67, verse one says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all nations. Let me read that one more time. Just soak it in. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So let's hear what God is saying to us right now through this text. Twofold reason you exist, if you're taking notes. One, you exist to enjoy God's grace in a relationship with him. You're made for this. This is verse one. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And you'll notice in the Bible, there's a, there's a word right after that, salah, which is a musical term that signifies a, a pause. So it's as if to say, okay, don't move on too quickly from this. Let this sake soak in. May God, we're talking about the holy creator of the universe, the one who spoke and the world came into being, the one who formed you, the one who is causing your heart to beat right now, your lungs to breathe, the, and he's not just doing that for you, he's doing that for seven, eight billion people in the world. The one who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, the ruler over all who holds the nations of the world in the palm of his hand, the righteous judge, 
before whom every single person in all of history will one day stand, including you and me. May this God be gracious to us. May God show us as sinners who've rebelled against him, who deserve eternal judgment before him, may this God show us unmerited love and compassion. May he not only not give us what we do deserve, judgment, may he give us what we don't deserve, mercy. May God be gracious to us and bless us, not curse us, which we deserve in our sin. No, may he bless us with kindness and love. And then hear this phrase, may God make his face to shine upon us, the light of God's face to shine upon you in your life. The smile of the God of the universe, may it be upon you. Like what a, what a prayer, that's worthy of yes, let's take a pause there. To think that God would be gracious to you and me. That God would desire our relationship with you and me. This is totally different than every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world is all about what you can do in order to get to God or the gods, what you can do to please or appease the gods. I remember sitting outside of a uh, temple in Southeast Asia. I'm talking with two other guys from two different religions, and then there's me, and they are talking about how really when it comes down to it, we fundamentally believe the same things. Our differences are just kind of superficial. And I'm, I'm listening, and they're talking, and Finally, I said, so it's almost like you guys picture God or whatever you want to call it at the top of a mountain, and we're all at the bottom, and I may take this path up, and you may take that path up, but in the end, we'll find ourselves in the same place. And they said, exactly, you understand. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Well, I said, what would you think if I told you that the God at the top of the mountain didn't wait for us to find our way to him, but he actually came down the mountain to where we are and brought us to himself? They said, well, that would be wonderful. I said, that is the difference. The greatest news in all the world, it's the news at the center of this book, is that the God of the universe has made his way to us in grace and mercy. He's come to us in the person of Jesus who we just sang about, who lived a perfect life with no sin, and then even though he had no sin for which to die, chose to die on a cross to pay the price for our sin and then, good news keeps getting better, three days later, he rose from the grave in victory over sin and death so that anyone, anywhere in all of history who turns from their sin and trusts in his grace will be forgiven of all their sin and restored to relationship with God for all of eternity. This is the gospel. God has indeed been gracious to us. God has pursued relationship with us. Just think about this. Like when I woke up this morning... I got to meet with God. Like this morning, I was meeting with the creator of the universe. I was talking to him, and he was listening to me. I was pouring out my heart to him and burdens that are heavy on my heart to him, and he was listening to me. 
And he was talking to me. He was speaking to me. I was meeting with God. And not just me, anybody, anywhere. If you didn't have that time this morning, then you missed out. You're made for this. You are made to enjoy God. You're made for more than just coming to church or going through religious routine activities. You're made to wake up and receive mercy and grace and favor from God every single day of your life and to walk with him all day long through whatever this world brings. The songs we were singing before we open up the word, like, I'll just give you a little glimpse into God's grace and mercy toward me through those songs. So uh, back up many years ago, my wife and I are, my family's here with me today, but uh, we, Heather and I walked through about five years of infertility, wondering if we would ever be able to have children. And those were long, Months and years of waiting and wondering, God, why this, why that? I'm guessing that in a room this size and then others in other locations, there are many of you who have walked or maybe are walking that journey. And the Lord used that journey to lead us down a road of adoption, which I would have said at that point was kind of second best since we can't have children this way, we'll adopt. But we learned real quick that adoption was just as best. And we adopted our first son from Kazakhstan, country of Kazakhstan. We got back, and after spending about a month in Kazakhstan, we got back, and two weeks later, Heather was pregnant. So <laughs> apparently what happens in Kazakhstan doesn't stay in Kazakhstan. Anyway, that's too much. We're not, we're not, we're not that close a family yet. Uh, so anyway, uh, along came... Uh, uh, our second son, nine months later. We obviously knew we were able to have children biologically, but we also knew we wanted to adopt again. The next three years, uh, nothing happened on the biological front, but we started an adoption process from China. We adopted our daughter from China, and then our first daughter from China, and then we came back, and three months later, Heather was pregnant. And her doctor was like, if you adopt four, you'll have eight. We were like, I don't think so. So... Uh, we were joyfully content with our four kids uh, until uh, a date night just a few years ago when uh, we hadn't even planned on talking about adoption on our date night, and the uh, subject of adoption came up, and by the end of that conversation, the only way I can describe it is God just met us there at the table, and we walked away and started an adoption process the next morning, again from China, and we got matched with a little three-year-old boy, and uh, we were three days away from going to pick him up in January 2020, when we got a call that there was a strange virus that was gonna keep us from traveling for a couple weeks. Well, those couple weeks turned into months, turned into years of waiting. And I remember, well, I'll get back. Well, I'll go until the, uh, the week before um, we got that news, I was at a conference where Phil Wickham, who wrote that song, when I fight, I'll fight on my knees, my hands lifted high. The battle belongs to you. I was at a conference 
speaking, and he, that song was about to come out, and he said, I just want to share this song with you. It stuck with me. This, this battle, I'm going to trust in the Lord in the waiting over years. Well, during the middle of the waiting, the Lord put it on our heart to start a parallel adoption process, so we adopted our daughter. Uh, well, I'm jumping ahead. There's, this, is, this is not something I plan on sharing, but uh, we started a parallel adoption process. About six months later, we got word about a mom who was about to give birth to a little baby girl, and they sent us this information about her, and they said the only unique thing about this baby girl is uh, the mom has already picked out a name for her. And we were like, oh, that's kind of a bummer, because we had always said if we ever had another little girl, we'd love to name her Mercy, but it's not the most common name. But of course, that was not going to be a deal breaker. So we said we'd, we'd love to find out more information. And so we read all this information that this birth mom has, has sent, and at the end, she says, I really want my little girl's name to be Mercy. So a month later, Mercy came into our lives, and she has now been in our family since then. Fast forward to three months ago, we got a call from China saying, it's time to go. And so two months ago, we picked up our son, seven-year-old from China. In the middle of that journey, the song that has had the most impact in my wife and I in our lives, we've sung it together, we've cried it together, is Christ is my firm foundation and he will not fail those who trust in him. I just share all that to say, I don't know what you're walking through in your life right now. And I could go on into things that are heavy on our hearts and a lot of tears this week in our family, but I'll just say this, God is faithful. He has made us to enjoy his grace every single morning, new mercy waiting for you, no matter what this world brings. You're made to enjoy God. And if you're not enjoying God to the full, you're missing out. If you've never put your faith in Jesus for a relationship with God, you're missing out. You're made for this. But that's not where this verse stops. Notice there's a comma at the end of verse one, not a period. And if we're not careful, we'll stop here. Yes, we're made for this. And so good sermon on enjoying God's grace and God's mercy, his faithfulness. Yes, to kind of walk away and live in that. Yes, but there's more. Pause. Soak that in, but then realize the next word, that, there's a purpose here. God gives us grace for a purpose. And what's the purpose? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. So here's the twofold reason you exist. One, to enjoy God's grace in relationship with him and Two, to spread God's glory to all the nations of the earth. It's right there. Bless us so that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations. So apparently, God's grace is not intended to stop with you. Apparently, God's grace is intended to spread through you and me. And not just generally to people around us, but specifically to all the nations, all the peoples of the earth. And this text is not isolated. This truth, I would argue, summarizes the story of the entire Bible. 
from the very beginning. So just go on a quick tour with me, and it'll be super quick, but just think about it. Genesis chapter 1, God creates us in his image for relationship with him, and then he says, multiply my glory all over the earth. Enjoy my grace, spread my glory. Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham to be the father of the people of Israel, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you, curses you, I will curse. I'm going to bless you, and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So you're going to enjoy my grace, and you're going to spread my glory to all the families of the earth. God says the same exact thing to his Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis 26, 4. Isaac's son Jacob in Genesis 28, 14. I'm going to bless you. Your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky. You're going to spread out from the west and the east and the north and the south. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. I'm going to bless you. And you're going to be a conduit of my blessing to all the nations. This is the impetus behind all the stories in the Old Testament. You see Exodus chapter 14. Why does God split a Red Sea in half, send his people through, and bring that seed back on the Egyptians? He says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bless you in an amazing way so that the nation of Egypt will know that I am the Lord. I'm going to show my glory through the grace I show you. This is Joshua chapter 5 and 6. Joshua on the outskirts of Jericho, about to enter into the first city in the promised land. He's got five military options available to him to go through this city with walls. They could go over the walls, under the walls, through the walls. They could send a decoy in, kind of like a Trojan horse type thing, or they could starve the people inside the walls and make them come out. Joshua, end of Joshua chapter 5, he's off by himself. God's about to give him the battle plans. It's like, okay, what's it going to be? Over, under, through, send the decoy in, starve them, make them come out. God says, I want you to get your trumpet players. I get the musicians and have them play some songs. Uh, and then shout, and the walls will come down. If you're Joshua, you're wanting a second opinion at that point. Like, why? Why would God design this battle plan for the first major city in the promised land? He's doing what he does throughout Scripture. He's organizing the events of his people so that he shows grace in ways that only resound to his glory. It's exactly what happens in Joshua chapter 6. You see the people go in, take that city. Let me tell you what you don't see on the back end of that. You don't see them going up and saying, to the trumpet players, Harry, I've never heard you play that well. Man, that was awesome. You rocked it. We went in. No, they're on their faces saying only God could have done this. And not just them, all the nations around them know this God is great. It's all the stories. It's, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel 3, in a fiery furnace. Why would he let them be brought into a fiery furnace so that they would come out on the other side, keep going to Daniel 3, 28 and 29? You miss the whole point of the story if you don't get there because the king declares the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is worthy of praise in all the nations. Look at what he's done. Same thing, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel and the lion's den. Why does God do this? He shows extravagant grace protecting his servant Daniel in the lion's den so that on the other side, Daniel 6, 25 and 26, King declares the God of Daniel is worthy of praise in all the nations. God's showing grace for the spread of his glory among all the nations. This is, this is the whole reason behind the book of Psalms, right? Like, think about this book. My, my anniversary is coming out with my wife. Let me tell you what I'm, I'm not going to get her for our anniversary. I'm not going to say, babe, I've, I've written 150 poems about how great I am. <laughs> and, and I want to give them to you as, as a gift. Uh, and uh, I want to invite you to read them, maybe even put them to music and sing them to me. 
and it'll bring such joy to your soul. Of course, I'm not going to do that. For so many reasons, I'm not going to do that. This is exactly what God has given us in this book. Why? Because we are made to enjoy God's grace when we give him glory, declare his glory among all the nations. This is the prophet's this is Ezekiel 36, 22 and 23. God says to his people, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things among you, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you've gone. I'll show the holiness of my great name, the name you've profaned among the nations, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. God says to his people, when I bless you, it's not going to be for your sake. It's going to be for the sake of my holy name among all the nations. Which is why when you get to the New Testament, this is exactly where, where Jesus leaves us before he ascends into heaven. Now go and make disciples where? Of all the nations, not just some, all of them. Go preach the good news to all creation, Mark 16, 15. Luke 24, 47 through 49. Repentance and forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all the nations. Acts chapter one, verse eight. I'm gonna put my Holy Spirit inside of you so that you'll be witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, all the peoples. This is Romans 15. So we got to keep pressing on where Christ has not been named among all the nations. And then you get to the very end of the book. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After this, I looked in a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language gathered around the throne of God, singing his praises. That's where the book ends. God has designed the whole story of history to end with him getting glory from all the nations for his salvation. You see it? This is why we exist. To enjoy God's grace in relationship with him and to spread his glory to the ends of the earth. God gives us grace for the spread of his glory among all the nations. Now, some of you might be thinking, wait a minute. Are you saying God has an ulterior motive in blessing me? And I want to be clear. That's not what I'm saying. That's what God is saying. God has blessed you. God desires relationship with you. But that doesn't stop with you. He wants his glory known among all the nations. Now you might think, what? that sounds self-centered of God. Are you saying God does what he does for his own glory? Again, that's not what I'm saying. That's what God is saying. And if it rubs you wrong that God lives to exalt himself, well then I would just ask the follow-up question, who else would you rather him exalt? You? Or this or that? No, if at any point God were to exalt something else, he'd no longer be the God who's worthy of all exaltation. That's what it means to be God. He's worthy of all glory. This is a totally different way to view our lives and to view our God. And, and to put, the, put them together here, how? Now just picture it. If God is infinitely loving, perfectly loving, all that is love is summed up in God, then what is the greatest gift he could give us? Himself. Enjoyment of himself. Grace from him. Think about it. How has God chosen to glorify himself? He's chosen to glorify himself by sending his son as a substitute sacrifice for our sins to draw us into relationship with him so that we can enjoy him forever. God's grace and God's glory go together. Now, here's where I'm convinced. So now, 
some Christians would realize, okay, yes, okay, I enjoy God's grace, and I'm supposed to live for God's glory. Okay, I got that. But this is where we leave it off, among all the nations of the earth. I'll show you a map on the screen that I hope you are familiar with. If you're not familiar with, I hope you will be familiar with it, because every follower of Jesus should. There's three colors on this map. The green, area of this map, green areas of this map represent parts of the world where the gospel has spread, where Christians live and churches have been planted in such a way that people have access to the gospel in those places. They have Christians, churches around them. Obviously, it doesn't mean that every person in the green is a follower of Jesus, but it does mean people have access to followers of Jesus who can share the gospel with them. The yellow parts of this map represent areas that are less reached by the gospel. So it's usually going one of two directions. Either there used to be more Christians and churches in a place, more access to the gospel in that place, but it's waned. You look at parts of Europe. Or it's going the other direction. The gospel has begun spreading that place, but there's still a fledgling church there. But then you have the red. And the red parts of this map represent areas where most people will be born live and die, and they'll never meet a Christian who can share the gospel with them. So they don't have access to the gospel through people around them. And that's a significant distinction. People are just as lost in North Carolina as they are in Somalia. The difference is there's a few Christians in churches in North Carolina there's access, there's nobody in North Carolina, Carolina that doesn't have access to the gospel and somebody near them. Over in Somalia, there's hardly any Christians, hardly any churches. If you're born in Somalia, the likelihood is you'll be born, live, and die, and never even meet a Christian who can share the gospel with you. That's why we don't say, well, I don't know why we talk about unreached people around the world. I mean, there's unreached people in my office. There's unreached people in my neighborhood. It's not true. Those people are not unreached. You say, how do you know? Because they're in your office. They're in your neighborhood. I have access to a Christian. (laughs) You're it. We're talking about people. And just so you know, when you think about that map, that red area, we're talking about approximately 3.2 billion people. Just like you and me, men, women, kids, moms, dads, teenagers, students, who right now, if nothing changes, will be born, they'll live, and they'll die. And they'll never hear about the saving power of Jesus. Why is that? I'm convinced it's because most Christians don't think that's a problem for them to address. Or most Christians think, okay, I'll I'll send some money every once in a while to address that. Most Christians think that's a missions problem. And we need to get missionaries and mission organizations to change that. And that's the reason why three billion people right now are being born and living and dying without ever hearing the gospel. 
because we have taken the reason why we exist and turned it into a compartmentalized program in the church for a select few people who care about that. But you exist for this. You exist for the spread of God's glory. It's right there in the text among all the nations. And obviously I'm not, not saying that's gonna look the same in all of our lives, but well, I would just ask the question, does the spirit of Jesus want all those nations for Jesus? Is the spirit of Jesus working for all those nations to come to know Jesus? Yes. Well then, do you have the spirit of Jesus inside of you? Then you want, and this is not just for a couple of people, this is for all Christians to be passionate about the spread of the glory of our God among all the nations. This is why we exist. This is what we work for. This is what we pray for. I mean, just ask the question, your prayer life, this last week, this last month, were unreached people among the nations a part of your prayer life? If not, you're missing out on why you're here. You can be involved in what God's doing in Somalia before you even get out of bed in the morning. I just download, if you don't already have it, the Unreached of the Day app from Joshua Project. Just, I mean, you we spend hours on this device doing totally meaningless stuff. At least spend 60 seconds praying, interceding for people who've never even heard the good news of God's grace in Jesus. And this should transform the way we pray. This should transform the way we give. We're some of the wealthiest people to ever exist on planet Earth. And yet we spend, it's interesting, we obviously we spend most of our resources on ourselves. We give a small amount of resources to churches, Ministries, the reality is most of the money we spend in churches goes toward making church more comfortable for ourselves. We give a small percentage of that money to what we call missions. But did you know, and this, we've done the research, the data on this, among the church broadly, so I'm not, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not dove into the budget at Biltmore, but among the church broadly, out of the small percentage that we actually give to missions, you know what, about 98 to 99% of the money we give to missions actually goes to green areas of that map. In the name of missions, like we're given to places where the gospel already has gone, in Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa, different parts of Asia. I'm not saying it's bad to give to those places, but in the name of missions, we're actually ignoring the people who most need the gospel. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said that. It's clear our heart is not in the nation's. And, and what happens is immediately, and it's happening right now, some, some people are just like checking out, like this is, oh, 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 man, I didn't even see it coming. This was a mission sermon. Like, no, it's not. It's the reason why you exist. Like, look at it in the Bible. Look at the whole story ends with Jesus being exalted among all the nations. That story can't play out until all the nations hear the gospel. That's where the train of history is headed. You want your life to count in this world? Jump on that train. Do we realize three billion people, that's more people alive today who have not been reached by the gospel than ever before in history. That's happening on our watch. The number of people who are being born, living, and dying without ever hearing the gospel is higher today than ever before in history. And it will continue to be that until we not send a few more missionaries, until we all start following Jesus. 
And still we all, until we all start living for the reason why we're here, to enjoy his grace and relationship with him and spread his glory to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. So there's more need than ever before, and there's more opportunity than ever before to reach them. Do you realize the time and place in which we're living? Like Paul never could have fathomed uh, I mean, it took him how long to travel from one city to the next or sail from one place to the next, and it didn't always work out very well. Uh, he never could have fathomed a machine that can pick you up in the air, carry you anywhere in the world, through the air, land you somewhere in a day. Amazing. Or how long did it take him to write a letter and send it, have it delivered? Weeks. Then heard, somebody sends back a reply. We, you and I, can communicate with people around the world in real time in multiple languages through a device we carry in our pocket. This is amazing. Travel, technology, uh, globalization of today's marketplace, the opportunities for work around the world in red areas. Did you know there are red countries that will actually pay you to come spread the gospel there? Now, they, they don't know that. That's what they're paying. But that's what I think about nursing student, she instead of, she graduates nursing school, instead of looking for a job in places where the gospel has been heard, she looks for jobs in the red. She finds a job in the heart of the Middle East. She now lives in the Middle East. She's become head of nursing in this significant hospital in the city in the Middle East. She has a Bible study every single week in her office with Muslims. Nobody stops her. You know why? Because she's really good at nursing. Because she's realized that the grace God has given her is not intended to stop with her. It's actually intended for the spread of his glory among all the nations. Just think, in this room, I don't know what this would look like in your life, in the days to come, whether that's just short-term trips to the red, whether that's total sacrificial giving that changes what's happening in the red, whether that's one day taking a job in the red. Like Only the Lord will knows how that will play out. I think about retirees, like, did you know that Malaysia, for example, and Southeast Asia has a whole incentive program, financial incentives to get people from the West to come retire there? Malays are some of the most unreached people in the world. So retirees, go live it up in Malaysia. Like, what do you want to do in your last years before you see your Savior's face? Play golf or spread the gospel to people who have never heard it? God transform our understanding of what we're here for. And even the way we raise our kids. I, I, uh, I saw just the other day on, a on social media a video of a 17-year-old girl. She's Mormon. And she's reading a letter she's been received from the leaders of her church telling her where she's going to spend the next two years of her life on mission. And she gets to the point where she's shaking. She's so like nervous, excited. She gets to the point where it says where she's going. She says it, she smiles. The camera, it's just an iPhone camera, pans out all of her family and friends there. They start jumping up and down. Like, you're going there. It's gonna be awesome. And I'm thinking, why is there a whole culture designed with that expectation for people to take a false gospel that condemns around the world? And you and I, who have the true gospel. Why are we not raising our kids with this expectation? You're gonna spend your life somewhere in the world spreading the glory of God. What, what is it? What? Could it be that we've bought into a brand of Christianity 
that is content with a nice, comfortable Christian spin on an American dream while we turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to billions of people who have never heard the gospel. And I just want to urge you today, don't buy in to that brand of Christianity and to the extent with which you have, leave it behind. You were created for so much more. You're so created for so much more. Enjoy his grace, spread his glory. I think about, I think about three guys, just businessmen, I walked through this text with, this comes to my mind because I just did a video this last week. So 15 years ago, I walked through Psalm 67, just what we just did right now, and they, it, it rocked them. They were like, what? We're supposed to live for this. And they started a ministry. Now, they, they kept their jobs, started a ministry where 15 years later, 22,000 families have taken clean water and living water in the gospel to unreached parts of the world, red parts of the map. Over 1.3 million people have been reached. That was just the seed of this word in three guys' hearts. And I'm just wondering, what might the seed of God's word do in hearts today? Let me give you a picture. We'll close with this. Area in the red was trekking through Himalayan mountains. And you go up to people and you ask them, have you ever heard about Jesus? And they say, who's that? They've never even heard his name. And they're living in extreme physical poverty. Like half the kids in these villages they found were not making it past their eighth birthday. I can't imagine that for my six kids, like half not making it to eight. So walking through those mountains, sharing the gospel with people who've never heard it, and then one of the effects of poverty in those villages is trafficking. It doesn't take much for a trafficker to come in and promise this amount of money to take a daughter down into the city to get her a good job they're promised, education. And they never get a good job or never get an education when they go down that hill with that trafficker. I got to one particular spot and there was a home for girls who had been rescued from this trafficking and were hearing the gospel for the first time. And they were walking into a room and they were painting something. I'll show you a picture. It doesn't show their faces, but it does show what they're working on. And got to know some of these girls' stories how somebody cared enough to work for the spread of God's grace to them, how they've come to know Jesus, how they've been rescued from trafficking. And then I saw the other side of this painting. Look at this next picture with me. It's Psalm 67.3. Right after what we just read, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And I just want to submit to you today that that kind of picture is worth giving your life for. It's worth using your money for. It's worth praying toward that end and going. Right here, I mean, don't, don't forget, God's brought the nations to us. So don't just reach out to people who look like you. Reach the nations here, and then don't stop here. We don't have the option of stopping here. God, help us all to live, to spread your glory to the ends of the earth. 
as we enjoy your grace in relationship with you. You're made for this. So will you bow your heads with me all across this room and other campuses? I just, I would just ask everyone within the sound of my voice, including those online, are you in relationship with God? Are you enjoying God's grace and relationship with him through Jesus? And if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, I invite you to pray, even right now, just to say, oh God, I want to enjoy your grace and relationship with you. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus to say right now, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the grave for my sin today. I trust in Jesus to restore me to relationship with you. I want to live for the reason you've made me to enjoy your grace in relationship with you and to spread your glory to all the nations of the earth. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to say amen. As soon as I do, here in this room, other campuses, I just want to open up this area at the front, same at other campuses. For anyone who has not been living to spread the glory of God to all the nations of the earth, I want to give you an opportunity to come get on your knees before God and say, change the trajectory of my life. I don't, I don't know what that means for my life, oh God, but I want to live so that your saving power is known among all the nations. I want my prayer life to reflect that. I want my giving to reflect that. I want my, my plans for my life, for my family to reflect that, for my future whatever you want me to do. And you don't have to know what that means. But just to say to God, I'm not going to leave this up to the missionaries. I'm going I'm to say this as your child, as your son or daughter, oh God, here's my life. Use me to spread your glory among all the nations. And I just want to give you some space to respond to God in that way. Oh God, please, by your spirit, wake up your church to see your great glory, to see the nation's great need, and to give our lives enjoying your grace and spreading your glory. So we pray that even right now, by your spirit, you would give us boldness, courage, to surrender in all the ways you're calling us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.